VBS, some of you guys, if you're new, you never heard the acronym VBS. Like, you don't know what that means. And actually, you know, we, we tried to help it a little bit by calling it the Summer Fun Nights because VBS is an acronym that means Vacation Bible School, which what, like, 10-year-old is like, please send me to Vacation Bible School. So we try to, like, but the, the term has been so, used so long in church world that it's kind of stuck around. So in any event, it is a, it's way cooler than the acronym sounds. It, the, the idea of this vacation Bible school is we get kids together, they get a chance to hear about and learn about Jesus in an incredibly fun way. They get a chance to bring their friends. Um, and it is, um, for so many people, it is a life-changing moment for them. And they can point back to the moment of, of the summer fun nights of VBS and go, this was, a, this was one of the most pivotal moments in my life. Now, critical to making that happen are the leaders that... Um, that are a part of this life-changing moment. And they'll tell you after their, after their week of being really tired how worth it it was to see lives transformed, to see kids make courageous decisions, to give them a sense of who Jesus is in a way maybe they'd never heard of before, in a way that maybe a lot of us didn't grow up with with a chance. We only heard sort of mythical, sort of, like, sort of foggy pictures of who Jesus is. But somehow in the midst of playing together and hearing stories and being part of a community together for a week, lives get changed. And so what I want to do is this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for the folks that are, that are going to be leading. We're actually all going to do it in a second. That are going to be leading um, this Summer Fun Nights experience for our kids. And what we'll do is in a second, there are, some of these people are about ready to jump up, and I'll, I'll tell you what's going to happen. They're going to stand up in a second when I say, and we're going to pray for them. And what we'll do is this. We'll put a hand towards them. Usually what you see in the Bible is when people are what's called commissioned. You see people placing their hands on the people. And there's no magical transference of power. There's no, this isn't, you know, it's not like this is the human defibrillator or whatever where it's like, and clear. You know, it's not like that kind of moment. But what it is, is it's a way of saying we're participants in the sending out of people. So because it's, it's too difficult to do that where everybody's putting hands on everybody else, what we'll just do is this. We will just like sort of force aim our hands at them. And it's like, there's nothing, again, nothing magical about it. It's just us participating and praying for people. So they're going to stand and then you're going to kind of put your hand out toward them. It's like, oh, I'm praying for them. That's all that is. All right. So if you're wearing a, a, a summer fun nights shirt, which means you're, so you have some kind of leadership capacity, volunteer capacity with our kids over the next week, would you stand up? There you go. A couple of them right here. You're not even wearing, if you're not wearing your shirt, you can stand up also. Sorry, I made that a little unclear. Sorry. I thought you guys were supposed to wear your shirts. That's weird. Huh. Well, that's funny. I don't want to bring that out in front of everybody right now, but that was kind of a miss. <laughs> Thank you guys who did wear your shirts. Thank you for being conscientious. You want your kids in these groups right here with the kids that are, the guys who wear their shirts. All right. So we're going to pray for them. Go ahead and put a hand towards them. Participate in praying for these guys as they have a long week ahead of them and it's going to be great. Jesus, we are grateful for the sacrifices that these folks are making that you have enabled them with certain gifts and abilities to be with young kids for a long period of time. Father, give them energy, give them joy, help them to figure out ways to deal with unruly kids in a gracious and truthful way. Give them the energy and the focus to be able to articulate your great love in such a way that changes lives. Father, might you give them um, your blessing, might you be upon them and their families as they make this big sacrifice during this week, and might lives be changed through them. Might they know the joy of life transformation that comes when we are able to be a part of that, uh, that work. So Jesus, we are grateful. We've commissioned them in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. That is going to be a great week. All right. My, uh, my kids are very excited about it. I'm pretty excited about it. You know, it's pretty fun. We're trying to see, you know, every night we don't have to feed our kids. They get fed at the VBS. It's like great, you know. And so it's like, oh, you didn't like what they fed you? Tough, you know. Um, anyway, it's going to be great. I'm so excited about this. It's going to be a great moment for our church. Still opportunities to volunteer. If you guys are like, part of the reason we put in the evening is so that dads can volunteer. 
more dads who are like, I want to be a part of this. What would it take? What could I do? You know, when it used to be nine to 12, a lot of dads were like, I'm not in. Now you can be a part of it and you want to be there. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Um, we are starting a new series today uh, called, Oh, the Places We'll Go. You just saw the little, the little um, hot air balloon thing in your bulletin. You could take a look at that. You can, again, take a picture of yourself right now and say, we went to church and, you know, see, mom, I still go to church, even though I'm a grown up. You could do that if you want. Um, but you, we started this new series and the idea this, this, Oh, the Places We'll Go is a title loosely borrowed from Dr. Seuss. If you, how many of you guys received as a graduation gift, Oh, the Places You'll Go? Did anybody get this? Couple hands up there. Not a lot of people. I'm surprised. I thought everybody got that. Okay, you don't have to be ashamed. Some of you are like, is it okay to admit it that I read a Dr. Seuss book? You can admit it. Okay, some people are not sure. But I, I know a lot of people, I got this gift. I can't remember whether I got it as a high school graduation gift or I got it as a um, college. I don't remember when I got it. I know I have it somewhere in my house. And I remember reading it and thinking, I, don't, I would have rather had money to you know, buy a, you know, something else. But this is a, I remember getting this gift. And the, it, the sort of behind the whole, behind the whole, the whole story, or behind the book, is this picture of your life is ahead of you. There are a lot of choices that you have to make. Some of the future that you see ahead of you is going to be amazing. It's going to be the greatest thing that ever happened in your life. And some of it's going to be real challenging. Some of it's going to be a real difficult kind of thing, but you get to be the person who goes on this great journey. And essentially, to boil it all down is to say this. The adventure, the stuff of life is in all of where you're going. All of what it matters is in even some of that great stuff and in some of the scary stuff. That's what life is all about. And that's kind of the adventure ahead of us. But there's another layer to the whole idea of all the places we'll go which is that there's a fundamental question of our identity that's wrapped up in the places that we'll go or the places that we have visited or the places that we will visit, whatever, wherever we are right now, the places that we visit has a fundamental determining factor about who we are. And that's what I want to talk about. It's going to be great. We're going to get the series started today. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk more and more about it, but I want to spend some time talking about that very question of our identity today, which is something everybody wrestles with. So before we do that, let's pray and we'll get into it. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that you call us to do great and amazing things, yet you never intended any of us to live in mediocrity, to live in, a way, in, a, in such a life that is dull or boring or predictable. Jesus, you call us to a life of adventure. And to be honest, Father, a lot of us, including myself, are more often than not, we're terrified. We want a life of predictability. We want a life of safety. We want a life where everything that we're hoping to find, we do find, and that there's no difficulty in the way. And yet, Jesus... Your intention isn't to make our life easy, it's to make us whole people. Father, your intention is to give to us an eternal kind of life, a life that is abundant and rich. And Father, all of it points to you. Jesus, some of us are stuck in a place today that we wish we were not. Whether it's in a personal secret place in our own heart, or it's literally in a physical place, there's a part of us maybe that wants to be removed from it. Father, others of us are in a place where we love to celebrate where we are, what we've come through and what we're doing. In either case, Jesus, might you be made known more clearly to us that it's your intention, your deep love for us that intends to make us who you intended us to be and not to leave us stuck. And so, Father, for just a moment, would you speak to us in the stillness about you and how you desire for us to be made whole?
Lord, help us to find our way. Help us to see you in it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, now, if you want to take out of your bulletin, you got an outline, you want to look in there, that will help you follow along. If you don't want to follow along there, that's okay. Everything you need will be on the screen. I should say we've had to move the cameras around a little bit and make some adjustments. There's probably some sound issues as well because of the secret project going on behind this curtain, you know, which you don't know what it is. Uh, but um, if you have, so if you can't see or whatever, that's great, but you got your bulletin there or your outline, you can look there. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we mostly in Mark chapter 10, um, so you can look there as well. But um, at some point in our lives, so as we're starting out, as we're, at some point in our lives, every single person faces some kind of existential question about their identity. I mean, who am I? We all want to know at some point, who am I really? And if I was to ask everybody in this room, we were to, you know, kind of sit together, walk together, have a conversation, say, well, tell me who you are. Most of us, and I don't think there's nothing really wrong with this, most of us would default to the roles that we play as our identity. Well, I'm a, I'm a gym owner. I'm a father. I'm, uh, you know, I'm a student. I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I'm a, whatever. We would find a role, and that would sort of shape who we are. And that's generally how it kind of works for us. But there's another way to answer that question, at least in part, that's really, really important, which is this. Where you go, at least in some part, has something to do with who you are. Where you go in your life has a very critical, not to be dismissed, component of who you really are. You can learn a lot about who people are based on where they visit, where they dwell, where they intend to go, where they're headed. To rephrase it, it'd be something like this, as I try to turn this on here. There we go. Who am I? We get this. There we go. Who am I, of course, is the question. And perhaps it could be rephrased with this simply. This question could be answered with another question, which is this. Where am I going? To pause for a moment, to look at your own life and say, not just sort of trying to answer the question, who am I, which is, which is incredibly tough, but more so probably to answer the question, if you're looking for the answer, this is really tough to see, is it? Do I need to switch to that camera? Can I do this? Does that help or no? Or no? Are we on, which camera are we on? There we go. That looks better. Is that better? Okay, everybody says that's better. Sorry, you just, we don't need you anymore. <laughs> okay. The question, who am I, which is a really tough question to answer, might be better answer, at least given some clarity based on this answer to the second question is where am I going or where am I headed? Now, in the biblical narrative, the, the story of the Bible, God is intimately concerned. He's intimately concerned with who people are becoming, who they are and who they're becoming. And often the way in which we see this is that God is shaped, God's identity, God's identity for people is shaped in the place that they're going. Now here's what it says in Psalm 32. Verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Now, if you ask people about what they, who don't even, who may or may, or may not have any kind of relationship with the church, more than like, or with God, what they would say is, well, God kind of tells you where you're supposed to go, at least in some kind of, even if we don't get it, that's kind of what God's supposed to do. The problem begins to sort of figure, as we start talking about this, first of all, the idea of teaching in the way you should go. Some translations have teach you in the way you should live. One translation, an oldest translation says, um, teach you in the way, the Hebrew translation actually says the way you should walk. That going and walking and living are all kind of melded together. That the idea of where we travel and where we go, they're all kind of shaped into who we're becoming. Now the problem for most of us, for a lot of us at least, is how does God get us to be where we ought to go? What does he do? 
How does he, how does he operate? How does he make that happen? I was, um, this, past, this past week, I was at, I was at my, my friend called me up and said, hey, I have tickets. You know, he's, he has, and this is a friend who has, his company has a, a box at the Staples Center. I'm like, yeah, to the circus. And I went, ah, awesome. <laughs> he was like, cool. And it, I'm like, like Cirque du Soleil, which is like kind of weird and amazing. Or he's like, no, it's the Ringling Brothers. Ah, even better. Oh, man. And so we, we tell our kids, and our kids are excited. And, I, you know, circus is for kids. But for the adults, it's like it's a lot of noise. And a lot of them trying to sell you a $40, like, little flashlight that says Ringling Brothers on it. And you're, my kid's like, I need that. And you're like, no, you don't. You need to go to college, okay? But it's like, there's all this stuff they're trying to say. The whole experience, they got the elephants that walk out there. And you just think, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. These poor elephants walking around. And they're like, and look, they can stand up. And then they have, they have a bunch, literally they had camels running in a circle. And they're like, ladies and gentlemen, the camels that run in a circle. And you're like, ha. Ah. When is this over? I mean, the whole, the whole time. And then this, they bring out this guy who has got 17, no kidding, 17 tigers, Bengal tigers. And I'm like, aren't there like 90 alive in the, like the wild? We got 17 in the circus, and there's these sad tigers. And they're all looking at this guy who's got two whips. And he's like, got one thing. It looks like it's got catnip on the end of it. He's like winging it around. And the tigers are looking at it like, oh, that's awesome. And then when he gets close, they all try to take a swipe. Literally, they like try to take a swipe at him as he walks by. And you're kind of going, please, just get a hold of him. Just one of you guys. Just, <laughs> just you know, oh, and I cover my kid's eyes. But I just, I, the whole thing is awful. <laughs> and I'm not like an animal ri- rights guy. I mean, I love animals. They're delicious. But I just, I mean... <laughs> but but you, you, you have to acknowledge the, the kind of what's happening here. And there's the, like I'm watching this, this one tiger kept getting off of its like stool, you know, which, you know, they're all in this circle and you're like, dude, that's the one. That's the guy. That's the tiger. It's going to swipe this guy. Just a little Johnny Lawrence from, uh, you know, the Karate Kid just going to sweep the leg. Guy's going down and that's it right there. You know what's going to happen. You're just waiting for it to happen. But the guy just turns and faces the, the tiger and like, whips the ground and waves the catnip and it's like he's just threatening to whip these tigers every so often he'll hit him in the feet and i'm like i think that's actually how a lot of people imagine what god intends to do with their life don't get off that stool i will whip you here's something wonderful to look at and then pap you know just get back on that stool and i think that's for a lot of us how we go i think this is what god intended for us the way god's going to shape us into the being he intends us to be the person we intended he intended us to be the way we're going to get to where we're going to go is with a lot of pain, a lot of humiliation, a lot of shame, a lot of fear. And so many of you probably grew up in a church where that was kind of the MO. Don't screw up. You're going to get whipped. And you look at the next verse in the scripture. Don't be like the horse or the mule or, in our case, the elephant or the tiger or the ever-running-in-circles camels, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. In other words... The way God intends to guide us, to shape us, to help us get to where we're going isn't by controlling us like an animal trainer. It isn't just about our behavior modification. God is not looking to create better behaved people. He's looking to get us to a place where we become all of who we were intended to become. And this series is going to be essentially built on that idea. God intends for us to become who we are the one who God made us to be. And he'll take us to places and his intentions that we would go with him to places, but not because we're scared of the whip, because of something much more compelling. So I want to tell you a story. 
Mark chapter 10, verse 46. It starts like this. Then they came to Jericho. Now, I just want to focus on a couple things here. Then and they. Um, first of all, this, the idea of the word then means that whatever, there's, there's some preceding events, obviously, right? And this is the next in the sequence of events. And the they being spoken about here is Jesus and his disciples and all those who are following with them. So there's a group of disciples, they're walking along, essentially, by the way, the entire story of the Gospels, which is the account of Jesus' life and ministry. At least in, in part, you could say that the, the story of the Gospels is essentially a long walk to the city of Jerusalem. Like, whatever's going to happen in Jesus' life and ministry is at least, it's, there's gonna, something has to do with where he's going to Jerusalem. So it's just a long walk to Jerusalem. It's like who we encounter and the stories we meet and the stories we, pe- people we meet and the stories we encounter and all that kind of stuff is essentially what's happening. Now, in order to tell you the story we're going to tell, Almost more important than the story itself is the context into which it comes. So I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of heavy lifting. Stay with me, and I'll, we'll, it'll make sense, all right? So let's back up a little bit. There's a couple things I want to point out in the series. Now, in, the, in Mark chapter 10, which you can read, it starts out with Jesus debating some people about divorce, some religious leaders about divorce. That's where, the, that's where it first starts. And then this is what happens. These little kids try to come to Jesus, and the disciples go, kids, get away from us. Because you don't matter, because we're kind of important, because Jesus, we're with Jesus and you're not important enough. And Jesus says, famously, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will, re- who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Now, Jesus' ministry is focused on the teaching and the embodying of this thing called the kingdom of God. And the disciples are beginning to kind of get the sense that they're kind of important people. Like we're with Jesus. He's bringing in the kingdom of God. He's kind of number one guy. And we're kind of with him. So kind of the entourage feel. Could you guys get away from us? And they look at the kids and say, kids who have no rights without their parents, particularly their father's voice. Kids who have no voice and no experience at all. They get no credibility in society. Jesus says, no, 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 no. The kingdom is going to be like this. Anybody who wants the kingdom are going to be people who aren't already prominent in the world. And that's how it's going to, that's how it's going to look. You can't imagine that you deserve or you're entitled to. You have to imagine, you have to look at this thing called the kingdom of God with wonder and awe. And he tells everybody, you should be like a child. Which I don't know if some of you subscribe. There's like, I think my mom and my aunt subscribe to the compass note, which I write every week, you know, which, you know, which is great. And they always tell me it's wonderful, but even if it's not. But this week I was talking about this. That there's something about kids that evidently we forget how to be, which is what we need for our life. Let's tell the story just really briefly. We're in my, in, at my in-laws' house, and we're, uh, we're, I'm putting the kids to bed. All three of them are in the same room, uh, and we're, it's my turn to put them to bed, so I'm, everybody's laying down and laying on the bed, and I accidentally turn the flashlight on on my phone, and I start, so now there's the, this bright light on the ceiling, and my, my son, my youngest son, puts his hand in front of it and tries to make like an animal shape, you know, so it's like a shadow puppet, and then I do it, and this is basically all the only animal shadow puppet I can do. It's a duck. It's a goose. It's a camel and a brontosaurus. So it's a dinosaur. I mean, it's like awesome. And we just start, I just start going, mom, mom. Like, and, it just, and it was like, they just start cracking up. They, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in their lives. It's the greatest thing. And pretty soon I'm like, all right, guys, everybody settle down. And my youngest goes, hey, um, dad, do you like laughing in bed? You know, like we're putting us to bed. I'm like, yeah, it's the best. It's so funny. He goes, how come you tell us to like stop it sometimes? I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, 
And there's something about being like kids, Jesus is pointing us to, something about what matters, about walking with him, following him, being with him, that has that kind of wonder, that doesn't have that kind of chastising correctness about it. Next. Then, what happens after this? Then, Jesus decides, the, the, there's a conversation, famous conversation that Jesus has with a guy who says, how do, I, how do I inherit this kind of kingdom of God stuff? How do I get into this kind of, I want the fullness of the life that you promised. Not only now, but forever. And the, Jesus says, well, you got to sell everything you've got. And the guy's like, uh. And this is where you get that famous line about camels and eyes of needles. If you've heard it before, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then he, he concludes it with this. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, again, in the society, rich people have prominence, and they have flexibility, they have mobility, they have ways to get and find things, which means they're already blessed, which means everybody would have thought that the first will be first. Those who already have, well, they're already awesome, so that must be who gets to be the most. They're already blessed by God, clearly, so that's who gets the most. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The first will be last, and the last will be first. He says this over and over again in his ministry, by the way. Then, uh, then, then, he, then he says this right here. Then this is what he says. We're going up to, he tells his disciples, I'm going to die. And they don't really get it. We're going up to Jerusalem. Remember, this is the destination Jesus is intending to go. This is like where all the journey is going to. I know, stay with me here. He said, and the Son of Man, which is a title for Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. Here's what's going to happen. They will condemn him, meaning himself, he's speaking in third person, to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him, Three days later, he will rise, to which all of them go, we do not know what you're talking about. They, do, they never get it. They're never like, oh, I get it. This is so cool. You're like the Lamb of God, sacrifice. We get this. There's like all this Old Testament stuff culminating in you. You're going to die, and then you're going to rise again. Obviously, that's what's, they never get it. But he's basically saying what's going to happen, the way that the king is going to come into his kingdom is he's going to be mocked and killed. He's going to be, you know, flogged and everyone's going to think that they got him. This is, what, this, is the, what, this is the future here. This is, again, still the kingdom. Then the disciples, two of the disciples, they, they kind of buddy up to Jesus and they ask him, this isn't in your outline, but it's the most amazing question. They say this. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now think of the boldness by which you have to be saying this to Jesus. <laughs> Like, he doesn't yet, he has, they haven't yet told what they want. They just said, I'm going to ask you a question, and you need to say yes. We want you to do whatever we want. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've been, my, my kids say that to me from time to time. Dad, we're going to, um, we have an idea, but we need you to say yes. I'm sure you do. What do you want to do? Now, what they ask is, when you, we want to be known as like the best of the disciples, we want to sit at your right and left hand. You want everybody to say, there goes the disciples. And there's James and John. They're a little bit more awesome than all the other disciples. We want that. That's what they're about to ask. Okay, now here's what Jesus says. You know, so these guys will all want to, by the way, the other disciples start getting all up in arms. So they're like, wait, wait a second. We also want to be awesome too. We want, and they all get in this big fight. And Jesus says this. No, no, no. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. In other words, however the world's doing it, we're not doing that. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. So Jesus is describing the way in which people will follow him. It's like kids who are innocent, who have no rights, who are only, who are basically people who are, basically people who are, who are rich in wonder but poor on resources. 
He talks about the rich people who are going to be having to give up everything and desire to finish last. He talks about these disciples who want everything. He talks about the idea of authority. He talks about the own, his, his own identity as someone going to die. The disciples here are saying, Jesus, we want you to be someone who grants us wishes. That's what we really want. We have decided the place that we're going to go in our lives. And we want you to be a genie. So here's where we're going. Can you go ahead and make that a reality? I'm standing in line. I was flying back from Texas. I'm not going to spend too much time ripping on Texas today. I'll save that for next week. But, I'll, but anyway, um, for those of you who are brought your Texan friends, that'll be next week. And I'm, I got things to say. But mainly it involves corn on the cob. It was an interesting discussion I had with a couple guys in Texas. It was very funny. Next week. Anyway. We're in, the, we're, in the, we're in the United Terminal, which, of course, United shut down. This, this, we're in the day where United was like, we don't know what happened. We don't have computers anymore. <laughs> well, we're going to Starbucks, I guess, right? So I'm in line. And my youngest son has got something like an eyelash stuck in his cheek, like some pancake you know, syrup or whatever in his cheek. And I peel it off. It wasn't like I could just sort of, you know, it was like I had to peel it off of his face. And I like just threw it on the ground. And he goes, oh, I didn't get to make a wish. I, oh. <laughs> over here, aww. <laughs> okay, we're going to talk about how you're, what, that actually, you, if you're wishing for stuff. Okay, so, so he goes, so he, I go, oh, ah, I panic. Oh, uh, uh, you, you can still wish. You can still, you can still make a wish. And he's like, okay, total. He just pauses for a second. Okay, I did it. I was like, oh, cool. And he, he, I go, what'd you wish for? He goes, I can't tell you. And I go, I know, I'm just, just kidding. And then a little bit later, he goes, like a couple seconds later, a little pause, like a little beat. And he goes, does that really work, Dad? Do wishes really work? And I'm like, uh, what do I do here? You know, like I'm not, I'm not supposed to really endorse wishing, I guess. It's not really because people make that confusion about prayer, but he's six years old and it's so cute. And yeah, so, sometimes, so, or, yeah, no, yes. <laughs> and he's just looking at me like, yes or no. And I'm like. So here in my mind, I justify people wish for things. They work really hard. They pray, they achieve, they, and I'm like, I, you know, of course I've been up since like four in the morning to get to the airport and then, and then tell me when I have a plane flight. So I'm like, yes, buddy there. And he was like, okay, thank you. And I was like, I don't know if I should have done that or not, but I told him wishes are real and he could wish on eyelashes and oh no, what did I do? And I, you know, whatever heresy I created. But for so many of us, the way in which we look at Jesus is, is that he's the one who is to grant us the destiny we've chosen for our lives. Jesus, I really would like this, and can you make that happen? I need you to say yes before I ask for it. And there is another story. We start talking about, oh, the places that we're going to go, and about this kingdom of God Jesus is describing, which is very different. And so this is that story. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Now you have to understand, in Greek, there's no, this is the New Testament, the Hebrew, the, the New Testament, not the Hebrew Bible, the New Testament. It's written in Greek, and there's no such thing as parentheses in Greek. But what's clearly happened here is that the, the writer here, Mark, has actually put a parentheses in here, which to say it's son of Timaeus, because anytime you have bar in front of a name, it means son of. Now, I'll tell you what this means in a second. First of all, Bartimaeus means son of the most esteemed. Now, you have to understand that this isn't like, when you have this story, it's not like this is just a made-up name. It's this guy's real name, but the irony is really rich in the story because a blind person 
who is begging. There's no, there's no, there's always, you're going to have a blind person who's also begging. It's not like they're blind and they're a stockbroker. They're not blind and they're a farmer. They're just blind and they beg. That's the way it works in this society, especially in an agrarian culture. So there's this blind person who's begging, and generally the way people who are regarded who have a permanent illness like this is that they are cursed. God's angry with them. He's got the whip out. That's the way most people regard it. And Jesus, and Jesus encounters this guy along with the, well, the disciples at this point, the crowd. They encounter a person who's named the son of the most esteemed. Now, um, check this out. When he heard this, meaning Jesus, or when the, sorry, when, the, the, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to, sat, to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David's a royal title, the person who's supposed to rescue the world, to redeem, to set free is what that means. All of Israel is a person who will have the title, son of David. And so he calls out this royal title. So you have the son of the most esteemed shouting out to the son of David. And he's saying, have mercy on me. Now there's this clear picture here at this point. This guy is fully aware of his need. He's a beggar, he's blind, and now he knows, he hears that it's Jesus who's around him. Then this is what happens. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Now, who are the many in this? These are the people who have been walking with Jesus throughout this chapter already of the, of the Bible, who have seen him say to them, when the children, those who have the fewest rights, start coming to Jesus. When they said, stop, go away, kids, Jesus says, hey, you guys stop. Let the kids come to me. People who have no prominence are important to me, Jesus says. And they, the many, see this guy yelling out who is impeding their progress. They're trying to make it to Jerusalem and do all these important things. And they say, shh, stop, 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 stop. We're on our way. Jesus is like talking and we're, he's probably doing some teaching. We're walking along the way here and you keep yelling out. We're going to need you to be quiet. These are the same people who were already told, stop treating people like that. They rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, a beggar, a blind beggar by the side of the road can't be someone who's just told, you're going to need to keep it down, and they stop talking. They're going to have to be someone who's got some resolve. And here's this person saying over and over again, no, 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 please have mercy on me. Please have mercy on me. Now, here's this other part. Of all of the important things that are happening, of all of what's happening, what's going on, Jesus stopped. He's on an important mission. He hears this guy screaming. He hears the, the, all of this crowd say, you got to keep it down. This is Jesus we're talking about here. He's the son of David, right? You got that part right. We're on our way. And Jesus stopped. I think, I guess to put it in, this, in these terms, have you ever had the experience where you felt like you were mostly in someone's way. Someone who you were trying to get their attention, and by and large, the way that you were treated was, you're kind of in the way. We know the experience of having been told, you're in the way of progress. You're in the way of doing things efficiently. We know what that's like. We've been told by the masses, you're not important enough. Keep your whining to yourself. And Jesus stopped. Some of us also know the experience of having actually treated other people that way. You know, I was in Texas. Last year, we put up a, a zip line over, you know, our, my father-in-law's pool. I didn't 
kind of without asking permission. And then he was like, oh, it's cool. You can do that. I'm like, cool, because <laughs> it was kind of expensive. But um, put up the zip line over the pool because a regular pool isn't dangerous enough. So we needed to you know, have a zip line over it. And this year, my kids were like, cool, the zip line. What else are we going to do? And I was like, none of your friends have a zip line over there, but nobody has that. I'm awesome. I'm the greatest dad ever. Yeah, what else are we doing? So I try to find another thing to do. <laughs> and I basically spend all of one night looking online to try to figure out how to make, um, like, how to tie really cool, like, Boy Scout knots. I was only in Cub Scouts, and we never went camping, and I always regretted it. I never, I, know, I don't know how to tie any, anything except the tie from Cub Scouts. That's all I learned. Boy Scouts don't know how to tie cool knots. So I'm looking at the Boy Scouts, like, webpage about how to tie knots. And I tie a, a bunch of rope together. I buy 200 feet of rope, and I make this, like, rope jungle gym. And it's, it was pitiful. Let's be honest. It really, it, it was awful. Like, I tried to do what I could, all these ropes and stuff, and I tried to make these little things they could climb on. And in the midst of trying to do this, because my son, my oldest, was, like, so excited about doing stuff, like making forts and doing all the stuff in the trees. And he's in the midst of all of it. He really wants to help, but he doesn't, he didn't spend all night looking at the knots and doing how to do all this stuff. And so at some point I'm like, I'm like, literally, I'm like, stop it. You just put it down. You know, and he looks at me like, what? And I'm like, you don't know how to tie the knot. You know, and then he's like, okay. And he walks away and I'm like, I'm doing this for my kids. Don't bother me. I'm like, oh, wait a second. All of us have had the experience in which we've been treated as though we're going to be ignored forever. Maybe some of you are in that situation right now. All of us have had the experience of treating the people that we love the most dearly as though they're in the way of the thing we're trying to do. And yet, Jesus stopped. Jesus, the one who had every reason to say, I am on my way and you cannot bother me right now, Jesus stops. And then he says, call him. Now, Jesus doesn't speak to Bartimaeus and say, come over here. Jesus doesn't walk over to him. He says to the many, the ones who have said to Bartimaeus, stop making so much noise. The ones who have already heard Jesus say, the people with low degrees of prominence, without influence, those people are the people that are going to come to me. He's talking to the many here who have been told over and over again about how the first will be last. And if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. You want to be amazing? Work on being a slave of everybody else. Jesus tells those people to call him. Now imagine, just for a moment, give yourself the scenario. There's the whole crowd of people, Bartimaeus by the side of the road. <clears throat> Jesus has to say, call him. That guy, a blind person, can't make his way without being guided, hands put on him to find where he needs to go, which means all the people that have told him to be quiet are now being told to bring him. How awkward that must be for them. Shh, keep it down. Oh, you want us to go get him? Okay. I mean, think about this. And look what they say. Hey, so they call to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Like, doesn't that seem a little bit of a contrast before to, hey, can you keep it down? Imagine how awkward that is. Hey, oh, you're, oh we were just about that quiet thing. <laughs> we were just kidding. Come on over, cheer up. Good news, everybody. This is weird. I mean, because they just told him to shut up. And now it's, come on, everything's great. Good news. Jesus wants to see you. There's something that Jesus is illustrating right here that it wasn't able to really communicate clearly enough for his own, our disciples weren't able to hear it clearly enough before, which is you're going to have to figure out how to help people find their way on the places that they're going as well, which will come up later on in the rest of the series. Then this is what happens. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. This is an interesting detail in the story. 
Why would they say that he threw his cloak aside? I mean, of all the things that he could do, I mean, why, this detail doesn't seem to matter that much until I, went to, I did a little research on it. Here's what it means. A beggar sits, sits down, cloak over their, over their lap. They have all the money that they've collected, however much it is, it's in their lap. People, almsgivers on the way to wherever their journey is, Jericho, Jerusalem, wherever they're going, and there's, they're putting money in his lap. For him to throw his cloak aside means all of his worldly possessions, essentially, are then thrown on the ground. What he's, what's being said here is that this is a person who goes, the son of the, David, the son of David, this guy is having mercy on me. Jesus is calling me to him. Nothing else I have matters anymore. I'm not trying to retain or protect or withhold anything. It's all, all of it doesn't matter anymore. I'm throwing aside all of it. And he comes to Jesus. The one who would stand still, who would stand right there, who would stand right next to him. And here's what happens. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the, mindset, the, man, the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Now, before there's any promise about this happening, the man has already gotten up, surrendered everything he's already got in his life, every, all of his worldly possessions, however little they are, and he comes to Jesus and he says, he says, I want to see But there's no guarantee of that at first. Jesus has to ask him. And this is what happens. Go, Jesus said. Go. Your faith has healed you. I want you to think for a moment. This is a guy who's probably been sitting on this road for a very long time. He's relying on the kindness of other people to give him food, to give him money. He's at the mercy of robbers or anybody else who would show him any kind of unkindness. And then Jesus says, go. Think about all the places you would go. You'd visit family. You'd do whatever. You would explore things. You'd have people show you stuff. This is what a flower looks like. This is what the water is. This is what it looks like when you see it. This is a sunset. Think of all these things. And he has the whole, his whole future is in front of him. You can do whatever. There's nothing binding him to anything. Jesus just says, you are blessed. Go. Your faith has healed you. Isn't that great news? You can do whatever you want. You could do anything. Oh, the places you'll go. Verse 52, immediately he received his sight. What would he do with his sight? And he followed Jesus along the road. He could go anywhere. He could do anything. His life is way different than he might have otherwise expected it. Everything is now changed. And he simply says, Jesus goes, you can go anywhere you want to go. And he goes, I want to follow you. Oh, the places will go. In other words, there's some kind of implication here that's not really subtle, which says, wherever we're going, it's going to be with Jesus. All of the disciples were looking at Jesus and saying, you, Jesus, are a means to an end. You're going to make us great. You're going to help us. You're going to make our plans come true. We have wishes. We know you want to make those come true because that's what a good God would do. He'd make our wishes come true. And there's this blind man who receives sight, who gives, up, who gives up everything and just says, I just want to be with you. Wherever you're going, that's where I want to go. Fundamental to the identity of a person is where they go. Fundamental. Where you go, where you have gone, where you are attempting to visit, where you're headed, these are all things. And the only thing this guy says is, Jesus isn't a, means to the, isn't a means to another end. Jesus is the end, and I just want to be with him. Wherever you go, I want to go. Over the course of the next couple of weeks, 
We're going to spend some time figuring out what it looks like to go with Jesus, to go with God, to figure out what that actually looks like. Next week, like I said, I'll make fun of Texas. It'll be awesome. We'll also talk about what does it mean to go with God, to go with Jesus. So many of us have an understanding that God is there only when we need him or only when he's angry at us. But what does it look like to go with him in our life? That there's a supernatural component in our lives of going with Jesus, and it is a we kind of thing. Oh, the places will go. Now, in a moment, we're going to respond. We're going to sing some songs. Some of you are going to want to come forward to receive some prayer. I know it's a little bit difficult to do that because of the, the navigating on the way up there. But the question we're all facing, every single one of us, is where am I going? Where am I going? Some of you have visited some difficult places. You are in a tough spot, as we say. So where are you? Where are you going? Do you want people to pray for you, help you get out of that? That they might be with you in it? That you might find Jesus in the most difficult of circumstances? Maybe you have something to celebrate that you want someone to pray with for you. But we'll invite you to do that. And we're going to sing. We're going to respond. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to consider this question about where I'm going. And oh, the places will go. Let's pray. Jesus, we're grateful that you have not looked at us and said merely that you want to whip us into shape, that you want to modify our behavior, that you want to send us into a place where we're just simply better behaved versions of ourselves. But Father, that you intend for us to be shaped into people that are living lives fully alive. That some of us in this room are in a quote-unquote dark place. Father, some of us are in that dark place by our own choosing. We've visited it repeatedly. We continue to find it repeatedly. Father, we need help to find our way out of it. We cannot do it on our own. And so like Bartimaeus on the side of the road, we, we cry out, have mercy on us, rescue us. Others of us, Father, are in dark places simply because we, the circumstances of our life that we did not choose. And nevertheless, we need your help to get us out of it. Jesus, we have a belief. Help us to grow in that belief that you are critical to our rescue. That wherever it is in our own particular experience of life and living, Jesus, you meet us there and you intend to bring us to a place of wholeness. And so, Father, we need you. We celebrate the places of victory, of happiness, of stillness, of peace and wholeness in our lives. And yet, Father, we know that those sometimes are only temporary and we need you. Take us on a great adventure. Let us dream big about the places that we'll go. and Let us do that with you. So Jesus, hear our songs as we put them to music, our prayers as we put them to music. Let us respond with fullness and a joy and anticipation of the hope that you bring. In your name, Jesus. Amen.